This is People Like Us, a show about Alt-MBA alumni. Here's Brian Chung from Alt-MBA 21. So Brian, thank you for taking the time to chat today. Uh, You're an MD, PhD. There aren't too many doctors in Alt-MBA. What kind of medicine do you practice and and how long have have you been practicing? So I'm a plastic surgeon, um, and my specialty is hand and wrist surgery. And I've been practicing for five years. Yeah, about five years as, a, as an independent practitioner. And has that been something that you've always wanted to do? So growing up as a kid, you, you wanted to be a doctor? Uh, so no, the, answer, the short answer is no. Um, so the, um, the story is that, uh, so I come from an Asian family and as you well know, I'm sure there are only five allowable occupations in an Asian family. Um, so when I started my undergraduate, I didn't want to do medicine at all, much to the disappointment and chagrin of my family, um, which didn't matter to me. It's not something that I cared about really, whether they, whether they thought that it was okay or not okay, that I wasn't going to go there. Um, but I did know that I wanted to do medical research or at least research. I won't even say medical because at that time, I don't think I even thought that I wanted to do anything medical. Um, and then through a bunch of really weird circumstances, I ended up doing research um, in a medical environment uh, and really liked it because it seemed useful to other people as opposed to just useful for me. And then, um, and so that's how my PhD evolved because I knew that's I knew pretty early on in my undergraduate that that was kind of where I was going to go. Uh, medicine was a really long detour in some ways uh, because as I was going through my research education, I didn't feel like I really understood what it was that I was doing. So you know the that idea of what is it for and who is it for was never very clear. Uh, without really firsthand experience of knowing what is this for. So as a PhD researcher, you can do a lot and you can delve into a lot of stuff. But if you want your research to be relevant, you have to know why you're doing it. And I didn't really know exactly what I was doing or why I was doing it and who the people that I was studying were. Like It just isn't because you don't see enough of them. Uh, and you're not working in that area. So you're, you don't really have that sense. And that really bothered me a lot. And so then that's kind of around the end of my master's is when I decided that I would make a serious run for medical school. And I'm, I don't think my parents were ever happier, but, <laughs> but uh, you know, cause it's like, finally we get a son who's going to be a doctor. Um, so th- uh, I think the, uh, so, so it's happy, happy coincidence for them. Uh, and so I went into medical school thinking that I would do orthopedic surgery or sport medicine in some way, because that's kind of where my my interests were lying. Um, and then I tried orthopedic surgery and did not like it at all. Uh, and I tried sport medicine, um, just as a medical student, not actually trying them on, but, but just following people around and seeing what that job was like and what kind of problems they solve are. Um, and sport medicine was kind of the same, like it was is interesting, but it didn't really drive anything. And so, and I tried a whole bunch of other things because the medical school that I went to really encourages you to go and explore as much as you want to. 
So I just dove into that and I said, I'm, I'm just going to try as much anything that I think is remotely interesting. I'm just going to try because I don't know exactly what I want to do. So when that was done, I, not when it was done, but in the middle of it all, I had tried a lot of things. Uh, and emergency medicine was really cool at the time for me. Uh, but I wasn't sure if that was it or not. And so I sat down with my PhD supervisor, who is a sport medicine physician. And I said, I, nothing is really, nothing's really sticking out. The emergency medicine is fun. I like it. Uh, I, I haven't really felt like I want to do anything else. Like not that I wanted to do emergency at the time either. Like there was no strong pull to anything. And that really made me worried because if, if, if you spend all of this time invested into medicine and doing a residency and doing all of this stuff and it doesn't really pull you, then it, it, that's, to me, that's a big danger signal. So, uh, so he was sitting across, we were at coffee sitting across the table with me and he said, so, well, we know you like, you know, musculoskeletal stuff like muscles and bones and tendons and movement. Uh, have you thought about plastic surgery? Uh, and I looked at him because I didn't know what plastic surgery really was at that time. I was like, uh, I can't even believe that you would ask me such a stupid question. Um, you know, but plastic surgery, that's, that's like, you know, facelifts and Botox, right? Uh, and he was, he's a very wise man. And he knew me really well because we had already spent four years together with him as my supervisor. So he didn't try to convince me at that time. He just wrote down a phone number and a name on a piece of paper and he slid it across the table and he said, you've tried a lot of things and this is not anything that you've tried yet. What, what did you have to lose? Here's the name of my classmate who's a plastic surgeon in town. Why don't you give his office a call? Because that's how you do it. You call whoever you want to hang out with. You call their office, right? Um, and and just hang out with him. And if you hate it, well, it it's no different than when you spent four hours in a dark MRI room looking at MRI photos, realizing that's not what you want to do either, right? So point taken, right? Like you can't argue with that. So so I call this guy, um, this doctor, I shouldn't say this guy, this surgeon, very respected surgeon. Um, and uh and uh and he, you know, it, the the culture at that medical school is basically Everybody knows this is going to happen. They know they're going to get a phone call from a medical student at some point. So everybody's actually very open. The posture is generous to start. So that is a big help. So I call the office. His secretary or his administrative assistant says, oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, here is a time and date that you can come and spend with him. Uh, you know, I don't even need to talk to him about whether it's allowed or not because we know that this happens. And so, you know, it was very quick, easy, no barriers, right? Perfect. So I'm like, all right. I'm going to go, I go on that day. Um, we're in, uh, we're not actually in the operating room. We're in like a little procedure room, right? Uh, and he introduces himself and I introduce myself and he introduces me to the, the first patient of the day, uh, who's a woman who just had breast reconstruction from breast cancer. And he said, so what, what, you know, this is so-and-so she, we just did a breast reconstruction on her like a few a couple of months ago or a few months ago. Um, and she's here today because we're going to finish her reconstruction and we're going to make her a nipple. And I was like, you're going to what? <laughs> and so uh, he's like, we're going to make a nipple. And I was like, all right, okay, I'm open. I, I, 
you know, what, uh, let's do this. I want to see what this is. Right. Um, and, uh, he, uh, he sits down and the woman's lying down uh, and, and she, there's just basically like a mound of flesh on her chest where there used to be a breast. And um, he takes out a marker and he starts drawing on it. I have no idea what he's doing. He's just drawing. As far as I'm concerned, he's doodling on this woman. Right. Uh, and then he injects some local anesthetic around and then he cleans off the skin and drapes it and makes sure it's sterile. Uh, and then he takes out a scalpel and starts cutting to me randomly, uh, which, and it's not, but that's what it looks like when you have no idea what's going on. Right. Uh, and then he's done cutting. Uh, and then he starts to like move stuff around and he takes out a, a, a suture, which is a thread on a needle and he starts sewing stuff together again, seemingly random to me. And then as he's sewing, you can you can kind of start to see something starting to form. It's kind of like watching one of those magic eye puzzles where if you stare at it long enough, like the image comes out. And 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 then before I know it, he's done and there's a nipple. And I was like, um, holy crap, you just made something out of nothing. And uh and I it's like I I don't know what it is about that, but I have to, I have to stay here and watch you do the next thing that you're going to do. It wasn't making a nipple. I don't even remember what the next operation was, but it's like, I need to know what that, I need to know what that's about because that seems like magic to me. Like, I don't, it's like, it's, it's like I watch someone pull like a rabbit out of a hat and going, I need to figure out how you pulled the rabbit out of the hat. I, I don't know what it is, why or anything, but I need to figure this out. So that's how I ended up in plastic surgery. It was because I saw somebody make something from nothing. Um, and and it just was like, oh, I I need to know more. Tell me more. And then as I learned more, it was just more magic that happened. Like you know, breast reductions are also magical operations where you know the you, the the surgeon takes in a marker and they they draw all over the skin and then they take the patient to the operating room and they do exactly the same thing and they take out a scalpel and they start cutting. And in the middle of the operation, and this is graphic, so if you get queasy, you should stop here and maybe skip forward about a minute. That's, I'm giving you fair warning. So in the middle of the operation, um, it basically looks like two hand grenades have gone off in the middle of this woman's chest. Like, it's just messy. And it's every, like, it's not, it's not messy in the sense that there's blood on the wall or anything, but it looks like nothing's going to come back the way it was supposed to come back. Right. It, you, you know, you look in the middle of the operation as an untrained observer. It looks like damage has been done and it's not going to get fixed. So, um, and then the sewing starts to happen and the same thing happens from what happened when I watched the nipple. It, and, and you start seeing the shape start to form. And at the end of the operation, this person has two breasts again and they're just a little smaller or they're a lot smaller. Right. And you, and you have no idea how they made it happen. You're just sitting there going, this is, this is witchery. This is voodoo. I don't know what you did. Right. I don't know like what God or what deity does this. Right. But I need to figure this out. Right. So that, that's that story. Wow. I'm on the edge of my seat. I want to, I want to hear what happens next. Um, how, how does Alt MBA come into the picture? Uh, so Alt MBA is all about who it's for, what it's for, what is the change that you want to make. 
empathy, seeing the world through other people's eyes, you know, in a nutshell, that's kind of, you know, I think that's most of the lessons right there. Um, and research design is all about who it's for, what it's for, what is the change that you're trying to make? Um, and the, who is the pe- who are the people that this is supposed to serve? And if you can't answer those questions, when you design a research project, you shouldn't be doing that research project at all. Um, and so that's why it's so ironic that I had to, ha- I'd go through like a month of something taking over my entire life to see that that is exactly what I've been doing my entire life, just to this one compartmental, uh, like, you know, this one sort of tiny compartment of my life and just never going beyond it. Just never, dis- just never seeing that that was, you know, that was something that I could do somewhere else. Cause I started the alt MBA thinking that I needed a business plan for something, you know, um, and we got a business plan in week two and it was five lines long along with 99 other business plans. And that's the only business plan I've ever made. So, um, so, you know, I think that, uh, I, yeah, I think that's, that's how the alt MBA changed things, right? Is that it was like, Oh, I actually can already do most of this because I've been doing it since I was young. And now I just have to, apply the frame of life to the stuff that I've been doing. Like, you know, not life, but, you know, the project that I'm trying to do is really no different, you know. And and Seth talks about, like, this the, the posture of science uh, in what he does as well. He says, you make an assertion and then you go look for proof, which is basically science, right? Um, so, uh, but never seeing that that you could do that, mostly because I didn't know the first thing about business or marketing or anything. I didn't have any language, so I couldn't see the connection um, to make it to make the connection. I couldn't see the language enough to make the connection. So all MBA helped you see th- what you'd been doing in in a different way or in a, in a new way. What are you working on now, or what are you working on next? So right now I'm in the bootstrappers workshop, which is another way of seeing things that I never thought I would see, um, which is awesome. But um, what I'm working on right now is, uh, is generating traction for the thing that I made in the alt MBA. And so the thing that I made in the alt MBA was, um, was a mentorship to help health professionals look at how to use research in their practice. Um, and then the larger picture of that is, is the change that you have to make to enable people to do that is you actually have to change the way they relate to science in the first place. So that got me thinking about a device that I could use it to generate permission and trying to figure out a way where I could show up not necessarily every day, but regularly to create trust and attention and permission as Seth talks about frequently. And I guess, what is that? So that thing is Dear Dr. Ninja, which is a relationship advice column, uh, but not for people who have relationship problems with their spouse or their partners, but for people who have relationship problems with science. Um, So, Really what it is, it's, it's an, it's an advice column that people can send questions to about the things that they feel conflicted about in science and how science has to do with them. So one of the questions that I got 
a few weeks ago was from a woman who had just turned 40 and she was trying to make the decision about whether she's going to start getting mammograms or not. Uh, and she wrote in her letter that her husband uh, had just gotten over prostate cancer. So cancer was something that was very, like, you know, very much in their minds. Uh, and uh, she had read uh, somewhere on the internet that mammograms can, that there was a study that mammograms can be more harmful than they are beneficial. And so she was torn on what kind of decision to make, because if you, something's more harmful than beneficial, then technically you shouldn't do it. And, and so the solution to this problem isn't so much about whether it is or isn't beneficial. It's again about the story that you tell yourself about what it is that you're doing and why it is that you're doing it. Um, and to be able to relate that kind of a problem to the kind of problem that you might have with one of your friends is a really powerful way to look at how to deal with these kinds of conflicts. And so I went and I found the study that shows that and I explain it to, I explained it in the column about what that study actually says and why and how it can say that and why it says that. And then the analogy basically is, and, and there's nothing in the paper that says that it's wrong. Like there is a risk that you will get a false diagnosis of breast cancer and undergo unnecessary treatment as a result of this mistaken diagnosis. Uh, the problem with the, study is that they just that's where they stop so it's kind of like having a friend and everybody has this friend who you want to go to dinner with and you say hey let's go to smitty's and they say no i don't like smitty's and then you say well what about like michelangelo's and they say no i don't like michelangelo's either and every restaurant you propose to them they say no and, but they won't tell you which restaurant they want to they actually want to go to and that's what this study does, is it says you, you shouldn't get a mammogram, um, and, but there are no other restaurants for you to go to. Like, we won't tell you which restaurant to go to. We're just going to tell you not to go to this one. Uh, and that's a problem in the context of science and the way that science progresses. That's not actually a problem because that means we need to do more work. But in the context of somebody who needs to make a decision today about whether she's going to book a mammogram appointment for next week, that's a huge problem. Right. So when we put that into the context of, well, what would you do with the friend who says they won't go to any of the restaurants that you want to go to, but won't tell you which restaurant they want to go to is you can do one of two things. You can break up with your friend or you can just pick the restaurant that you want to go to. And then your friend just comes along with you. Right. Um, and, and that's really the essence of that decision. So it doesn't, in some ways, it doesn't matter what that study says. They're not giving you an alternative and there is no other alternative. So you have to make up your mind about how much you like this friend, science, right? And whether or not their opinion really matters because you have to do something. You got to get dinner. You got to get fed, right? And so, you know, the decision's actually a little bit further away from quote unquote science as you thought it was in the first place. And that's what Dr. Ninja does. He doesn't necessarily tell you what to do, but he tells you how to look at it. I love it. I love that you're, you're able to tell these stories that, that people can relate to. So to close the show, I have one question that I ask everyone that I, I talk to. One of the goals of the show is to help Alt-MBA alumni connect with one another. So how would you fill in the blank? Reach out if blank. 
Okay, so I'm Asian. I'm ready for this question because I listen to your show. I love it. And I actually have a list. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hear it. So, so the first, so, and I didn't know how to put the order of this list. I was like, do I put the things that I want first or do I put the things that other people might want first? So I don't, I'm just going to do it randomly now. Um, so reach out to me if you want to ask a question to Dear Dr. Ninja, but you want help crafting the question. Or, or if you just have a question, please reach out to me because I need questions. Um, reach out if uh, you know anything about getting syndicated or how to spread ideas. Uh, and then reach out if you just want to Zoom or chat uh, because I feel like the more I talk to people in Alt-MBA as Alt-MBA alumni, because you... I mean, how many episodes are you at now that... Like, what was the last episode that you just... I just chipped the 40th one. 40th. So I think I have probably reached out to like 15 of those 40 people. Um, and, And I feel like serendipity is kind of coming out all over the place now. So I am totally happy to... You know, if you want to reach out, we'll chat because something's going to happen and it's going to be awesome. Um, reach out if you need anything, like literally anything at all other than like free money. I don't have free money. Um, but I feel like, so I, I used to work as a, like a crisis, vol- like a phone crisis volunteer. And the big thing that we talked about in training was people get to define their own crisis, right? Um, so pe- people can call in for all kinds of reasons and people did call in for all kinds of reasons, right? But everybody, everybody gets to define their own crisis. So if you need anything at all, cause you feel like you're in a crisis, then, then reach out because the fact that you are in crisis means that, you know, you might need to see a different way out. And that's what we are here for. That's what all the MBA alumni is here for. Uh, reach out to me if you want to hear something lovingly brutal to get you going. Cause I'm really good at that. Um, and um, reach out if you think that the idea of having an Alt-MBA Zoom chat roulette would be really fun to do, because I think I really kind of want to do it. Um, but I, and I, I think I might actually still do it if nobody wants to do it. But, um, but it would be a lot of fun to do it with somebody because I think there's something to be said about that. Well, thank you, Brian, for being part of this community and, and for your generosity. And, and thank you for the feedback that you've given me on, on how to make this show better. Well, this is, your show is critical. I'm, you know, I know you're going to, you're going to be modest and that's fine. But I, th- I think your show is actually critical to making all MBA alumni like manageable. Because you, you know, somebody just saying, reach out if puts a constraint on things where you're not just typing it into this, the void of Slack because you don't know who's reading. <laughs> Whereas at least with people like us, you, you, kind of, you know who you're reaching out to, which is super valuable. So thank you. Thanks for listening. Check out the show notes for ways to contact Brian.